This is the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 115. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm your host, Monica Louie, and today I've got another inspiring interview heading your way. My guest today is the host of a top-ranked podcast, a best-selling author, and a serial entrepreneur. Over the last 15 years, he's built several successful online businesses, and he's sharing his lessons learned along the way. But first, if you're new to the podcast and you don't know me yet, I want to welcome you. I'm your host, Monica Louie, and I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist. I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six, seven, and eight-figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook Ads, which is my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than $3 million in ad spend and served thousands of students and clients. And we're in the trenches every single day keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. As you know, Facebook and Instagram ads are always changing. So if you want to stay in the know with all the changes related to Facebook and Instagram ads, join my free email newsletter. When you join at monicalouie.com slash guide, you will get my free Facebook ad starter kit as a bonus. Now, this podcast is all about what it takes to flourish to seven figures and my guest today has a wealth of knowledge to share. My guest is my friend, Nick Loper. Nick helps people earn money outside of their day job. He's a best-selling author, a TEDx speaker, online entrepreneur, and host of the award-winning Side Hustle Show podcast, which features new part-time business ideas each week. As chief side hustler at SideHustleNation.com, he loves deconstructing the tactics and strategies behind building extra income streams. Now today on the show, Nick is sharing with us the twists and turns his online side hustle career has taken, how he got started building an online shoe store, the keys to growing his top ranked podcast, including how he guides listeners through what he calls the listener pyramid, the unique way he incorporates SEO strategies to drive more eyes and ears to his show notes, and a whole lot more. Now, whether you're a podcaster or not, I know you're going to get a lot from this episode and learn a lot from the way that Nick thinks through how to get his content in front of more people. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 115. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E.com slash the number 115. Now, in case you haven't looked at the top charts on Apple Podcasts lately, The Side Hustle Show is one of the top business podcasts currently ranked above other top business podcasts from John Lee Dumas, Amy Porterfield, Donald Miller, and more. And earlier this year, Nick celebrated more than 15 million downloads for The Side Hustle Show. He is such a sweet and humble guy. I know you're going to love getting to know him just like I have. All right, let's dive in. Here's my interview with Nick Loper from SideHustleNation.com and The Side Hustle Show. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for coming on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. It is such an honor to have you here. Welcome. Monica, thanks for having me. Excited to, excited to chat. 
Oh, this is such an honor to have you. I've been listening to your podcast for years. And so you've been such an inspiration to me and so many others. It's just really an honor to have you. So thank you so much for coming on. I feel like it's come, it's come full circle. Like I've used your example of, you know, becoming the Facebook ads expert, like inside a given community. I used your example and Steve Stewart's example, him in the podcasting space uh, all the time. It's like, you know, creative ways to grow a service business out of, out of a community. Oh, thank you. That, oh my gosh. That's amazing. So I would love, first of all, start off for those few people who are listening, who don't know you yet, who are you? What do you do? And I definitely want to go into your story and how you got here. So I am Nick uh, Loper. And for the last eight years, I've been hosting the Side Hustle Show, which is a a weekly podcast dissecting different business ideas, creative ways to make extra money, uh, lots of fun fun stuff in the archives there. Alongside that, there is the SideHustleNation.com blog, which has been running since around the same time. Those two projects are my main focus today, but of course, they both started as a side hustle to my original side hustle, which was the vehicle that let me quit my job. That was a footwear comparison shopping site that I started back in like 2005-ish, 2006, you know, in its earliest stages, like it, it had a great run, but had a finite lifespan, which I probably didn't realize. I, I naively thought I, I could just be the shoe guy. Like I'll just do this and this could be my thing, but it uh, didn't, didn't end up that way. So I was really grateful to have had several other projects uh, started on the side from that. But that's, that's kind of my entrepreneurial experience in a nutshell. The shoe business was three years of nights and weekends side hustling before I felt comfortable calling, the, calling it quits at the day job. And then several years after that, finally got over, got over my uh, certain fears and uh, turned on the mic and started recording the podcast. Oh my gosh. Okay. So how did you even get into the shoe business online? I mean, back in 2005, 2006, that wasn't even like, you know, in this, in our day and age, like this is kind of more common. There's, there's a lot of these stories, but back then there was at least not that I was aware many people like just being like, I'm going to go on the internet and build a business. So I know you are a fellow Northwesterner from the Northwest. You went to UW yes. <laughs> and I'm a duck. So, oh, but that's okay. <laughs> so, but so you went to college, did you, were you on the path? Like you wanted to go to college and then you were like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I've got the bug. Like that's just in me. Or were you going the traditional path? You mentioned you quit your job. So what did that look like back then? Yeah, I was really grateful to have a couple pretty impactful college experiences. The first was this house painting internship with a company called College Works Painting. There's a few of these. There's College Pro, there's student painters, but the the premise of all of them is, is similar. It's like, well, here's here's your territory. Now go out and go win jobs. Like go paint as many houses as you can. We'll show you how to estimate the job. We'll give you some training and some templates on how to hire people, how to actually get this done. And that was really, that was at once like the most stressful work because it's like, oh, you know, a bunch of 19 year olds with paint sprayers, like what could go wrong? But it was also super rewarding to, you know, work through those problems, figure that stuff out, stand back at the end of the week and say, look at the, look at the transformation we made on this house. And then we did that a couple dozen times over the course of the summer. So that was really impactful. And the company at the end of the summer, they post on their kind of like internal blog. If you're reading this, we ruined your life or something. And it was the headline. I was like, okay, let's click on this. And the the punchline was, you know, if you made it this far, you've had a taste now, like you're not going to be able to go work for somebody else. Like you had this taste of working for profits and not wages. You've had this taste of being 
the boss of being in charge. And it's going to be really hard to go back to doing anything else. And I found that to be really true. The second formative experience was this was a, was a marketing internship in the online space. And this happened to be at a footwear retailer, which was uh, this old school, like brick and mortar shoe store in, uh, in Seattle that had the wild and crazy idea in the early days of the internet to, well, what happens if we put some of our inventory up online? Think anybody will buy it? So by the time I came online as their you know, marketing intern, probably eight years later at that point, it, you know, the online portion of their business had just grown by leaps and bounds. And so that was my first exposure to SEO and pay-per-click advertising and affiliate marketing and e-commerce in general. And that it was really, really cool to have that. And then that was the kind of the, the foot in the door for the uh, eventual footwear comparison shopping uh, affiliate business that I ran afterwards. So what was your major in college? I studied business and marketing. Okay. So that was, that was a relevant internship that gave you a lot of great experience too. Yes. Okay. So, so then you decided to, to do it on your own. So how did you get started with that? Where did that idea come from? Well, as so one of my duties was like in being in charge of the affiliate program. And one of the other duties was in charge of the pay-per-click ad spend and, and Google AdWords and, you know, Yahoo overture at the time, like way back. And so I was trying to figure out well, okay, I, I I could do this. Like, you know, from the basement of our college house, like started firing up my own pay-per-click ads for specific models of shoes. And it was, at that time, it cost $5 to set up an AdWords account. And I just had my budget at like a dollar a day. Like, is this going to work? Like, okay, I know that it works if I send people directly to the, directly to the retailer, directly to the merchant, but is it going to work if I, and actually that's what I did. Like, in the, I don't know if this is still even allowed, like with AdWords or if this is still a thing but like just using my affiliate link as the destination URL for those ads on like very specific long tail models of shoes. Like New Balance was great for this because they had like very specific model names like X993WB or, you know, something like that. So it's like, you know, if somebody's looking for that, they're at the tail end of their buying cycle. They are looking for the best price. You know, here's where to go. So that worked reasonably well. Like, you know, you know enough to pay for my three, $400 of rent in college. But then my thought to scale it up was it was kind of a pain because inventory would keep you know coming in and out of stock. You know, you might be advertising this shoe that only has a size seven and a size 25 left. And I said, like, well, that's not a great buyer experience. And so my thought was, well, what if I could pull in the catalogs or the price would change? Like you're no longer advertising the best price. So my thought was if I could pull in all the catalogs from all the different shoe retailers, then it would be less manual work, which it happened in some ways, in some ways didn't, because it was still like, you know, there's a lot of seasonality in footwear. There's a lot of inventory to- inventory turnover, but eventually that became shoesniper.com in its uh, later iterations. And it was, you know, where, where can you find the best price on your next pair of shoes? Unfortunately, comparison shopping is not what it once was. Like, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, like, hey, this is great. People start their product search on Amazon. Where can I find the best deal on this thing that I'm looking for? Now everyone just starts their product search uh, on Amazon. I said said Amazon before, but starting their product search on Google before. Today, all the product searches start on Amazon. And so it kind of has cut out a lot of these potentially niche comparison shopping sites. But that was the the early days of that that operation. So then where did you go from there? Or how did you transition to the next project? it It was still kind of a scary leap. To, to tell my boss, like, I, cause he knew about my little shoe business and he kind of, I'm sure just 
laughed it off. Like, oh, you have fun messing around on the internet. Because like, you know, it's an old fashioned company. And I told him, like, I'm, I'm going to quit and I'm going to do this thing full time. I think he's like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, go for it. Because we never really hit it off in that way. But in fact, he told me, you know, you'll, you'll never be an all-star or that was like his scouting <gasps> report or something. I was like, I, I kind of want to do something where I can be an all-star. Like, I don't know. It's like, are you telling this to motivate me? Are you telling this I to, to try and get me out the door? I don't know. It was a weird, that is so it was sad. weird thing. If he could I, look at you now, Nick, he would, he would be in awe of what you've created. Who knows? Who even knows? But yeah. <laughs> so three years, three years of nights and weekends, finally turning the keys to the company car and say, and say goodbye. The crazy thing is on day one, and you've had this experience, I know with, with clients and maybe with yourself on day one of my, you know, retirement, my self-employment, that's the day that Google decides to like shut down my ad account and say, Oh, you, you no longer meet our uh, quality guidelines. You can't advertise with us anymore. It was like, what do you mean? You know, you go through the seven stages of anger and denial and all of this stuff. And they were like, well, you're, you're an affiliate site. You know, the sole purpose of, of you existing is to drive traffic to other sites. Like Google, what do you think people are using Google for? Like, look at the mirror, but they didn't, they didn't really like that response. It was three months of kind of like reinvesting in development and kind of like tweaking the landing pages around in such a way that they eventually came back and said, hey, we made an error, you know, you're good to go. And just like that, the the traffic was back, but it's kind of a scary, stressful three months there. Oh my gosh. Do you, okay. So you, you started this when you were in college and then you had this job and then you quit and you had already graduated from college by this point, three years of nights and weekends building the shoe business. Yeah. So we're in summer of 08 at this point. Okay. Okay. So, and then day one, Google, like your main source of revenue and traffic, Google is says no. Yeah, it's probably 80, 85% gone in an instant. You're like, what happened? You know, you, you couldn't have said anything for the last two and a half years. Like you never had any problems before now. I just, I just quit my job. You know, it, oh, it was kind of scary. How did you, how did you pivot? Were you like building up savings for like in preparation of quitting your job? And like, so you had a cushion for like a couple of months, but still like, you know, having a plan and then having it taken away. How did you adjust in that moment? Yeah. So thankfully, you know, my wife and I are relatively frugal people. So we've always lived below our means. And so we had a savings cushion. We had her job still. We had no kids at that point. So we were just like, we were able to get by, but it was like, okay, not only am I not making any money anymore, not only do I not have the day job anymore, but now I've got to spend, I think it was probably 15 grand on additional development expenses to kind of tweak this stuff to get, to be able to get back and run this thing. But the the net impact I think was, was beneficial in the long run. Like it did make for better landing pages. It did make for a better, you know, user experience. They weren't as, as conversion optimized as they, as they once were, but I think they wanted to see some more like internally pointing links to, you know, different categories of shoes, different copy on the page. That's like, it had to be template driven because we had 300,000 pairs of shoes. Like we can't write, you know, individual ad copy for each one of these. It's like, it had to be somewhat template driven, but it was, uh, it was still definitely uh, a challenge there. And that was, I mean, that was my main thing. Once it was back up and running, I thought I could do the shoe thing for forever. I started a personal blog the following year, which eventually morphed into side hustle nation. I started a website called virtual assistant, which was 
based or inspired by my own uh, struggles to hire like remote help. Like how did, how does this all work? You know, Tim Ferriss talks about this in the four hour work week, but how, which of these companies are actually legit? How does it work? Ended up collecting thousands and thousands of customer reviews for the different outsourcing services over the lifetime that I ran that site and actually just sold it late last year. So that was another fun project that was pre, that predated Side Hustle Nation a little bit. Congratulations on that. That's cool. So how how long did you have that? And then you sold it last year. I ran that from 2011 to 2020. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Our friend, uh, our friend, uh, Pete McPherson, he interviewed me on the side hustle show about my, I think we called it like my half a million dollar side hustle or something like, okay, if I total all of this up, you know, everything the site earned plus the proceeds from the sale, it's like, oh, you know, this is pretty good, uh, pretty good chunk of change here. Very nice. So you started different projects then from there to diversify from the shoe business or because I know then you transitioned away from the shoe business. So what did that look like? It was running reasonably well. So I found some outsourced help. So it was, you know, it was running reasonably well. And so I was like, well, what else do I want to do? What's the next project? And I want to be fully upfront that, you know, we're talking about the highlight reel here. There are easily half a dozen projects that kind of totally flopped, like died a quiet death in some dark corner of the internet, like because a lot of my advertising partners for the shoe business also sold handbags and luggage, you know, they were all like, Hey, why don't you start another site for handbags and luggage and stuff? I was like, Oh, okay. And even though we were able to use some of the same, you know, templates and, and, you know, backend coding for that, it was, uh, it was just a completely different ballgame. Like I didn't do enough of the competitive analysis upfront, like commission rates were lower almost across the board and the breadth of advertisers carrying these products was much wider. So a store might have a hundred thousand products, but only, you know, 3% of them were like laptop bags or something relevant to the site. So we're just churning through so much data. You know, it was, it was lots of bandwidth costs, server costs to try and pick out the inventory that we wanted. So that one didn't work out. I started a wine related blog for no reason other than we kind of live like near wine country. Like I had no business writing this site and it just, it didn't do anything because it didn't know what I was doing. And there was no reason for anybody to stop by, but the, the couple projects that did stick around were the virtual assistant site. And then the side hustle nation project, which was kind of like an evolution of my personal blog. Okay. So, well, I think that's an important point to note because so many of us, and as, and as I meet and learn about, you know, more entrepreneurial stories, you know, it's not the first thing necessarily that hits it out of the park that you stay with for five, 10, 20 years. It's like the continual trying and learning and failing, and then figuring out what you like and what you don't like and where your specialties lie and what really lights you up that like eventually then we figure out the path and it's not even necessarily the path forever. It's, but it's the path for right now, you know, for a little bit longer term. So I think that's important. I I see that in so many entrepreneurs stories that I know when I first had the idea of becoming my own boss, I was like, you know, I was like seeing all these people having success on the internet. And I was like, I'm going to start a blog and I'm going to make a million dollars. And that's just, what's going to happen. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm a smart girl. I can figure it out. And, yeah. you know, and it, it took the pivot for me to really like find my groove and what I really enjoy and what, you know, how to, how to build a successful business online. So anyway, so I think that's important to share that it's, it's not just like you had this great idea and shot to the top. There were a lot of twists and turns along the way. Yeah, absolutely. We find from 
a lot of side hustle show guests, the business that they're running today is not necessarily the business that they started out with, or not necessarily the idea that they started out with. And it's this kind of evolutionary process of, and I think a lot of people get hung up on that. It's like, well, I'm waiting for this, you know, lightning strike of inspiration for this, you know, never before seen business idea. It's like, it doesn't have to be that way. You can do something that's already been done. You put your own unique spin or, or pivot on it. And that's exactly what the virtual assistant site was. Like I was, I was doing research for that ill-fated wine related site. And I came across the site that was reviewing wine clubs and they had like little user generated comments down at the bottom where people could leave in their little star ratings for these different wine clubs. In hindsight, blatant affiliate site, like probably were manipulating the rankings to, you know, put whoever paid them the top as the number one rated wine club. But I was like, oh, how could I pivot that to something that I do know more about or I'm more interested in? And I was like, okay, I think there's an opportunity to review products that aren't on Amazon, review service-based operations that don't have already a thousand reviews on Amazon. I think that was that was a helpful little pivot. I, you know, you see just by starting something, you kind of, because you never know what conversations are going to come up, what research you'll find that that strikes another little bit of inspiration. And we see that from, from lots of guests as well. Yeah. Very cool. When did you start the personal blog that turned into Site Hustle Nation? Yeah. So that was uh, nickloper.com back in 2009 and had a ton of fun doing this. This was just like, you know, pictures from our vacation. This was rants about current events. This was, you know, some business marketing entrepreneurship stuff. This was uh, book reviews. It was, you know, as a total creative outlet. And, you know, Bryn, my wife would, would do the same thing. Like we were super nerdy people. You know, we would sit at home in our separate corners of the living room and we would like blog. And it was, I don't know, I look back at those, at those days, those simpler days, like they were so much fun, just coming up with something to write about. It was a really cool practice of learning, learning how to create content for the internet. And this, I guess the, the, the creative muscle of like trying to publish consistently, that was something that ended up being, uh, being really beneficial. It's, it's kind of just a, I don't know. It, and it's kind of funny because so I thought of myself as a writer first, cause I had, you know, had almost four years of blogging experience, right. When I started the podcast and then within the first year, you know, the podcast is, has grown three times faster, still like very small by, by any, any reading of the metrics. But, you know, that was where I saw the most traction when I rebranded to side hustle nation in 2013. So it was like, Oh, okay. You know, maybe, maybe I'm not so much of an internet writer. Maybe I need to focus over here. And it was the sole reason for that was like, I didn't, I didn't pay any attention to keyword research or SEO or any of that. And like a, you know, a leave a bunch of monkeys in, in the room with typewriters and eventually you'll get Shakespeare kind of thing. A few posts did hit up on, uh, did end up landing at Google, but even then it still took so long to realize like, well, what was the secret sauce that made that one stick versus all these other articles that never went anywhere. Okay. You started with like the personal blog and then how did you come up with the idea to make that transition to side hustle nation? And how did you come up with the idea to start the podcast on top of it? Yeah, this was the product of a lot of kind of like soul searching and, and some of the same questions that I'll pose to people looking for side hustle ideas, stuff like, well, what do you, what do you never get tired of talking about? What do people already come to you for help with? What do people ask you questions about? you know, what problems or, uh, or hurdles have you overcome in your own life? And the kind of the intersection of all of those was like, well, I really love deconstructing these different business ideas. Like, where does the money come from? Like, that's fascinating to me. And that was some 
of the content that was on the original personal blog. And then, okay, well, I'd already done the side hustle thing myself and quit my job and been you know, reasonably successful at that, despite some the entrepreneurial roller coaster of ups and downs. And then it was just something that I was uh, interested in. And then the podcast came honestly from peer pressure because the folks that I was following at the time, the Pat Flynn's of the world were like, Hey, if you want to have a personal brand, you got to have a podcast or, or YouTube. YouTube was the other choice. I was like, well, I definitely don't want to do video. So podcasting was literally the lesser of two evils. And so I watched Pat's free video series on like how to start this thing. I had no idea how, like the, the technical behind the scenes stuff of how it worked. I thought iTunes would host your files. I had no idea you needed a separate media host for these MP3 files. And it was 15 bucks a month. And had it been 25 or 30, like the show might not exist just because I didn't know what I was committing myself to. Am I going to run out of people to talk to? Am I, do I have to just do this now forever? Like it was a weird thing. And now eight years later, 450 episodes later, it's like, oh, it's something that I really enjoy doing. And it's a fun creative process to come up with people to talk to, come up with episodes, episode ideas every week. That is so cool. And, and it took off. I mean, it was something that people were really interested in. You said that very quickly, the podcast kind of got more attention than the blog. And so how did, how did you launch the podcast? And what do you think looking back, like what gave you that push in the early days to like get more eyes on it? Oh my goodness. It's like, and it's kind of embarrassing because, you know, any podcaster will tell you like, oh, your first 40, 50 episodes are, are just you getting your reps in, trying to figure out how this whole thing works, trying to become comfortable and confident behind the mic. So, but to get the thing off the ground, and we find this with not just iTunes and not just, you know, with podcasts, but the same thing for Amazon, same thing for YouTube, with Udemy, with Etsy, you know, with all of these different kind of like mini marketplaces, Fiverr maybe is another example. Like if you can give the algorithm a little friendly nudge, if you can get you know, you use your existing network and audience to the extent that you have it to kind of give it a little push, then start, things uh, start to spin in your favor. And we saw that with the recent 1K 100 Ways book launch. It's like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to blow up my existing audience and try and move as many units as I have as I can. And then hopefully, you know, it sticks at the top of the bestsellers and then people start to discover it organically on, on Amazon. But in terms of the podcast, I had no audience to speak of. I had an email list of 11 people, entirely friends and family, but I did have, and, and I forget the stat on this, but like the you know typical person has 237 Facebook friends, call it, right? So I did have you know my existing network from just 20, I don't even know how old I was, like call it 30 years of being a human, right? And so I had this Gmail contact history and I would open up a new compose window and just start going through the alphabet and see what popped up like in the auto suggest. So I would type like A and see like who, who would be there. And actually I found out later that you can like export this list and I wouldn't do any mass emailing. I would still make personalized outreach, but at least then you have like a spreadsheet to go off of versus just like relying on the auto suggest. But so I would email people one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, here's this new project that I'm working on. Every download counts. You don't even have to listen. Here's the link to go check it out. If I were to rephrase that today, I might start with, hey, Aaron, it's, it's been a minute. You know, how's, how's crazy year we've been having? What are, you, what are you up to these days? What are you excited about? Because it's kind of human nature for him to respond in kind and say, here's what I'm working on. What about you? What about, you know, what are you excited about? And then that's kind of an opportunity to plug your thing. And it's kind of, you're not necessarily interested in Aaron becoming your listener. 
You're more interested in letting him know that you're doing this thing so that if someone he knows and is interested in that thing, he can tell them. Like he can you can tap into his tap into your network's network in that way. And I think that's really important for kind of like online content-based businesses, but especially for service-based businesses where it's like, I am now the the go-to Facebook ads expert. You know, I don't necessarily need to sell that service to my network, but they got to know somebody, right? And you want to become the go-to person for that specific skill in their mind. Okay. So I really like that strategy because, you know, so much of like the online business world is building the email list and sending, you know, the automation and, and building the funnels and automating it all. And, and so you hit a button and you can, you know, just go live your laptop lifestyle, but still like those personal connections I know have been really important in, in building my business. And, you know, that can kind of help you go farther, but also, I mean, that's what it's all about is like, we're building these businesses, not just to make a great living online, hopefully, you know, on our own terms, but also because we really want to help people and connect with people. Yeah. I think of podcast listenership or, you know, growing a podcast audience in terms of like climbing this invisible listener pyramid and the base of the pyramid is the, the biggest part is strangers, people who don't know you exist. They've never heard of you. They may never have ever even listened to a podcast before. And so that's kind of the initial stage to conquest. It's like this awareness problem and podcasting is really challenging for that because there's not a ton of great search engines or the search engines that we do have are very rudimentary in, in which, you know, it's, it's easier SEO in a lot of ways, but it's also, it's not, not super sophisticated. One thing that I do think helped early on was coming up with compelling sounding episode titles, because that was what got me hooked into podcasting early on. I followed a link from probably Twitter or someplace. And then I got to the page and, you know, there was nothing there. Uh, And I finally noticed this little like MP3 player, like audio player at the top. It's like, oh, you mean you buried whatever you promised in that headline 40 minutes deep into this audio file? Like, my first reaction was was anger. Like, this is not cool. Like, how do I get this? It was pre-smartphone. Like, how do I get this onto my device? But once I was in, I was hooked. And I've listened to that show for 10 years. And so it's like once, I think podcast listeners are very loyal, but there's a little bit of a hurdle or a barrier to get people to, you know, find the app on their phone, to find your show in the app, to download the episode that you're talking about. You're asking a, a lot of work from them rather than just, you know, skimming through a, a blog post. And on top of that, you're asking for, you know, 30, 40 minutes of their time too. Yeah. Their attention, because I, we can only listen to so many podcasts. I know I, I've listened to podcasts for years. I love podcasts, but I have so many more that I want to listen to and want to listen to regularly, but you can only listen to so many, you only have so much time. So you've got to really make sure that your show stands out. So you found that like the, the compelling podcast title helps what else did and then the the personal outreach in the beginning so what else have you done to intentionally grow the show so guesting on other relevant shows has been has been pretty big whenever i do like and it and it's not always in the entrepreneurship space a lot of times it's been in the personal finance space where it's like oh you know you talk a lot about budgeting and investing and saving money but there's this whole other side where you can go make more money. So becoming known as the side hustle guy in a lot of the personal finance circles in the FinCon circles has been very beneficial. I've seen some good spikes from like going on Afford Anything and Choose FI and Mad Scientist and all, all those types of shows where the entrepreneurship side isn't their main focus, but it's something that their audience is 
interested in or is likely interested in if they're already thinking about money and budgeting. The other thing that I think I think gives the side hustle show an advantage is I finally stopped ignoring uh, SEO. And what I mean by that is I can now drive, I, I don't even know, but like several thousand visitors a day organically to the site on, uh, you know, across a wide variety of different posts. And a lot of those posts are going to reference episodes of the show. So people will land on the site and hopefully spider deeper into the content and say, oh, if you want to learn more about this particular topic, you ought to check out my full interview with so-and-so that's episode, you know, 391, you can go download it over here. And so maybe again, podcast analytics, a little rough, a little rough around the edges. So it's hard to say for sure. But I believe that's got to help me out bring, bringing in a steady stream of potential new listeners to into the fold. Okay. And so with that, are you doing like just your normal blog posts or your show notes too, making those SEO optimized to be found in those search engines? A combination. So I have lots of blog content that is totally unrelated to the show. This could be you know, side hustle ideas, ways to make extra money, side hustles for introverts, hobbies that make money, all types of, you know, other keywords that we have found to be interesting or questions that people have asked, you know, over the time. And a lot of those are list posts. And so if number 17 on your list is, well, you ought to consider starting a pooper scooper business. And you never thought about that before. Well, here's, here's the woman who did it. Go check out her, her interview. And so I think that has been helpful. And then on the show notes side, this is actually a transition for me from a few years ago. So I used to put kind of the show notes summary behind an email opt-in and say, hey, you're out walking the dog, you're at the gym, you're driving in the car, you're, you're not in a great place to take notes. Don't worry, we did it for you. Because meanwhile, my guest is dropping all sorts of juicy knowledge nuggets on you. You want to be able to refer back to them without having to listen the whole thing over again. Don't worry, we did it for you. You can head over to sidehustlenation.com slash whatever it is and, and just download them for free there. That was a huge inflection point. That was when I started treating the show as content marketing for a business rather than as a business itself. That was a huge turning point in terms of the email list, the, the subscriber base. Now, all of a sudden, instead of anonymous podcast listeners who you may never hear from, now you have people you can reach out to. You can tell them about your next episode. You can tell them about what else you have going on in your business. You can ask them for feedback and get survey responses. It's, it was a huge, huge turning point, but the shift has been, so I started to see kind of diminishing returns on that. The shift has been focused instead, putting that content on the site for a better user experience and for the sake of SEO. So we did, and I'm not sure if this is still on the first page, we did reselling with reselling on Amazon with Jessica LaRue and kind of created a full like blog post style post for those show notes using quotes from her episode, using her advice and tips from that episode, rather than just like, you know, copy and paste the full transcript. Cause I don't think that would be necessarily what Google wants to chew on or what readers really want to chew on. They're like, oh, give me the, you know, the subheaders, like make it easy to digest. So that was one we did how to start a junk hauling business with Brian Scudamore from 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And so trying to, where there, where I think there may be SEO opportunity, trying to tap into that and using the multimedia, you know, using the interview really to help fill in the blanks for some of that written content, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I love that strategy so much. So you're really making it a better user experience for like, however they want to digest, but also optimizing it for search. You can drive more traffic and get more listeners to the podcast. And so it's like benefiting 
your business in multiple ways. What is like, what does the workflow look like? So you, do you like plan what the topic is of the show first and the guest and then, and then do the interview and then write it after, do you have like a template you kind of follow of like what topics to hit or what I guess segments in the, in the written post to hit or what is, how does that flow go? And do you have, is it all you, or do you have assistance, virtual assistance helping you through this process? This is definitely where I could use some, some <laughs> workflow help. Most shows start with the, the hook or the, angle, you know, what's the transformation? What's somebody going to learn in exchange for their 40, 45 minutes of tuning into this? So we kind of, we'll start there. Like, so we have an upcoming episode on how to grow a TikTok audience. Like, okay, I've never, I don't have this app on my phone. It makes me feel really old. I don't, I don't, I don't get this, but here we are. Like, this is an incredible social media platform with all this viral potential. It's, it's too good to ignore, right? So that's kind of the hook. Then it's going out and saying like, okay, who might be interesting to talk to in this space? Who has had some success on TikTok and, you know, and, and would make it more relevant, like use that to grow or build an existing business. And who we came up with was a Tori Dunlap from her first 100K. And she's at 1.6 million followers in 13 months on TikTok. It's just nuts. She talked about adding a hundred thousand email subscribers to her list in a matter of a week and a half. And it's just, wow. I, I can't even like compared to any other social media platform. So often that's how we start. We'll start with the hook then go find an interesting guest or, you know, we get pitched all the time too. And I'm sure you do too. You know, what would be a compelling? And so that's kind of the challenge when you do get pitches that come in. Okay. Well, what's, what's the takeaway? What's the angle? Cause you always get them from like you know, some PR service that represents, you know, some up and coming author, like, oh, they have a new book coming out. It's like, no, I don't, that's, who cares? Like, that's not relevant. Like, you know, so try and make things interesting that way. From the recording, so the recording gets, I don't know how deep you want to get into, but do you have an editing service that helps clean up the recording? I tend to mark up the, the transcript in case, you know, we went off the rails in any section, just to like to try and tighten that up. And then I have a, a content writer, who does the summaries, Phil, he's been doing them for years and he's super reliable. So he kind of forms that first draft of the show notes. And if it's something that I really, really want to SEO, I'll go through and usually add content to that, maybe tweak around the different subheading sections, add external links, stuff like that to make it Google worthy. Okay. With the, with the transcript. So you have a podcast editor and then do they provide the transcript or is that an external service for the transcript? It's an external service. I've been using otter.ai, I want to say, like okay. 10 bucks a month or something for way more, way more minutes than I could ever, ever, ever upload. I've been playing around with Descript for videos, which is incredible technology where you can cut stuff out of the transcript and it cuts it out of the video and audio. If I didn't have my own audio editing service, and in my case, that's podcast fast track. Yeah, I, I would be all in on uh, Descript because it's super cool for video. Okay. I've heard of Descript. Is it D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T? Yeah, it? I think just how, okay. like if you were writing a description. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That sounds so cool because you you edit, as you said, that you edit the transcript, you like cut out the sentence isn't helpful. So, and then it edits the audio at the same time. Yeah. That's what is really fun. And so we've been doing, trying to play around with a different strategy for YouTube which would be like shorter form video interviews, you know, shorter form than the podcast for the sake of comparison. 
on topics that maybe they're a little niche or maybe like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I don't think they'd be super relevant for the podcast. So we did like, you know, furniture flipping and we did, you know, how to make money donating plasma. Like I'm not going to do a full episode on that, but it was, it's interesting. Like people ask about like, oh, is, can you really make money doing this? Sure. We'll do so. We'll do a video interview about that. We'll throw it up on YouTube and then use the content for the, from the YouTube interview to help to help create that written post as well. And so they kind of cross, cross promote, cross pollinate each other. Oh, okay. So then on YouTube, are you doing that full length description or are you pointing people back to the blog to go get the full show notes? In the YouTube description, it's like summary style. Um, okay. Yeah. And it, and it links to the blog post. Okay. Okay. And then same for the podcast then for the podcast description that goes in the podcast app, that's like the shorter summary. And then you point people to the the full length blog post. Right. It's kind of like, here's what you're going to learn. Here's why this guest is worth paying attention to stick around to you know, learn this, this, and this, and here's the full show notes if you want more. Very cool. Okay. So then it goes, so then you optimize for SEO as needed and then it publishes and then what is your promotion? Do you have like a promotion process for each episode to help get more eyes and ears on, on them? Honestly, no, I mean, the, the two, two things. The first is I think your best podcast promotion is the episode itself, right? If it is worthy of being shared, people will naturally share it. Cause if I ask you, well, how do you discover new shows? It's probably by word of mouth or a friend told me that I ought to go check this out. So that's the first thing, like if trying to make each episode worthy of being shared, maybe even too good not to be shared. And I was talking with another friend earlier. It's like, for me, that's hardcore history with Dan Carlin. And some people are not history fans. Like the guy is an incredible storyteller. Like I just get you involved in these different characters and zooms in and zooms out. It's, it, he's an amazing podcaster. And so I'll tell anybody who, who will listen, they, they're too good not to share. And that's, you know, probably don't hit that every week out, but that's like kind of what I'm aiming for. And then the second thing is just sending it out to my email list because not every not every email subscriber is a podcast subscriber and and vice versa. And so it's like, well, here's the latest episode because I found when I was on, somehow I got on Tim Ferriss's list, somehow I got on like Steve Chu's list. And when they send me an email about their latest episode and it sounds compelling, I'm more likely to go and download it because it doesn't automatically push to my phone. Like I'm, I'm a casual listener, not like a hardcore subscriber. And so it was like, they're ascending me in that listener pyramid. Like I'm going from, you know, listener to subscriber to fan, like the more time I spend with them in my earbuds, obviously the more engaged I am. And so if you can, uh, if I can do that to email subscribers of mine, I think that stands to, uh, to be beneficial and hopefully they start sharing it with their friends too. Okay. So for the email, sharing it with the email is it's like a dedicated email about the podcast episode, or is it like a newsletter style where it's like, Hey, there's this week's episode. Cause I've seen people do both. And I've tried to figure out like, what is best for my audience too? You know, what makes the most sense? Is it emailing like specifically about the, this week's podcast episode? And then if I want to share other things, is that a separate email or do they all go together? What have you found works best for you and your audience? I do it newsletter style on Thursdays, on Thursday mornings, the same day that the episode airs, where the episode is usually the subject line or, you know, some hook from the episode is usually the subject line. That's usually kind of like the lead story in the newsletter. 
And then I added in kind of like this, you might also like box down at the bottom that is an opportunity to plug other content and really to curate other interesting stuff that came across my desk over the course of the, the week where it's like, oh, these people started a luxury picnic side hustle. I haven't interviewed them yet, but you know, here's, here's their little write-up on how you can get this done. And you can promote, or at least in my case, I can promote affiliate stuff there occasionally just drawing and even archive content too. Like, well, I haven't updated this post in a while, but it might be relevant to what we're talking about today. So that's kind of my newsletter structure. And then if I have a dedicated you know, sale going on or, you know, some other sort of call to action, that's usually going to be a, a separate email on a separate day. All right. Very cool. So what other best practices for SEO purposes for whether it's, you know, our blog posts or our full length detailed show notes for the podcast or our YouTube video, what other SEO practices, like, should we be making sure that we are incorporating? One of the SEO tactics that I've seen kind of surprising results from in the last 12-ish months has been externally linking to relevant sources where before, you know, somebody would land on my page. I was like, I'm not going to link out. I want them to read my stuff. I want to sign up for my email list. Like, I don't want to link out to these other sites. Like, what if they leave? What if they leave and never come back? It was kind of scary. But what I have found is if you can cite some data from a third-party source, if you can, you know, link to the definition of a certain term, if you can kind of sprinkle in maybe three, four, five of these over the course of your article, that tends to lend more authority in the eyes of Google to your post. Cause it's like, well, you're not trying to hoard this traffic. You're, you know, you're sprinkling it out to other things. Your, your article appears to be well-researched and well thought out. And so that's been kind of a surprising one. Another trying to think of other SEO wins, like the YouTube slash blog content combo has been working pretty well where it's, you know, the video complements the blog post and kind of vice versa. And then we've seen a little bit, you know, this kind of back and forth, but like with the frequently asked questions, so going through maybe one way to do this is going through to update archive content where this was something I never did up until, you know, really a couple of years ago was like, a blog post was a, was a stamp in time and, you know, it's, it's a one-time thing and it's done. It's like, okay, I've started to kind of revise my take on that where, okay, this is an evergreen resource. This is an evergreen asset. And maybe it just needs dusting off every now and again. Maybe it needs updating. Maybe it needs refreshing. Maybe some of these companies that you referenced have better, cheaper, faster alternatives or whatever it may be. And then just hitting republish on that, updating the publish date, adding content, deleting content, rearranging content so that it's a new post because, and then you can even, if it's, if it's a high priority post for you, send it out to your email subscribers or send it out to the people who joined your email list since the last time you hit publish on it. I think that's been something that has driven some, some positive results as well. So the relevant external links, frequently asked questions and the republishing as well as like kind of the YouTube uh, blog post combo stuff. I love it. I love it. Okay. So what, what is coming next for you? I know that you just launched a book. Please talk about the book, but what is, what is coming down the pike for Side Hustle Nation? Oh my goodness. Uh, The book project is uh, called 1K 100 Ways. It's at 1K100ways.com. This was a project that I thought was going to be super easy. I don't know if I should share this. Like I thought I was going to like crowdsource this book because that's the premise of the book is like, we're going to feature hundred stories from the side hustle nation community on how they're making extra money. And it asks the same questions on every page. So you can kind of compare across businesses, compare apples to apples. It's like, how'd you get started? How'd you come up with that idea? 
How'd you get your first sales, your first customers? How much did it cost to get started? What'd you spend that money on? What else has worked to market the business? What mistakes did you make along the way? And it's really kind of fun to read in parallel and see, look for patterns like, okay, what did people invest in upfront? What, what were the marketing tactics that got them their first sales? What mistake, you know, one of the most common mistakes was like, I wish I had started earlier, which is like kind of telling, I think, you know, we ask a hundred entrepreneurs like that came up over and over again, but I thought it was going to be super easy because it's like, I just crowdsource a book. Like this is a piece of cake, put out a little e-form, invite people over email. Hey, fill this out. You'll be in my next book. And it was anything but that I was, I, I thought I could hammer it out like in a month or two. And it was almost 11 months before it was like finally fully buttoned up just because you got such a variety of different responses in terms of length and level of detail. And so there was a lot of curation and kind of going back and forth, like, well, could you expand on that? This sounds interesting, but I need a little more meat here, you know? And so there was, there was a little bit of that, but the book launch has gone well. It's out there now. Hopefully we've given the algorithm, the Amazon algorithm, the best push that we can. And now it's up to them and we'll see what happens from here. But what's coming next is a question I never really have a great answer for. Personally, we are moving from California, from the neighborhood that we've called home for the last 14 and a half years to the great Pacific Northwest, where, where my wife and I both grew up, where all of the kids' uh, grandparents are. So we're excited to be closer to family, but a lot of effort and attention spent on uh, packing and purging and, and moving everything at this point. A couple of people have requested the 1K 100 Ways for Kids edition, which I think is an awesome project. Like our oldest is five and he is uh, starting to think more about money and where money comes from and what he wants to spend his money on, usually Legos, but how to uh, how this all works. And so trying to instill some uh, entrepreneurialism in the next generation, which may be a fun project to tackle. But yeah, kind of taking a, taking a little breather for the move and uh, getting back into it, hopefully with FinCon uh, middle end of September and uh, see what the rest of the year has in store. I love it. Okay. So I have to go back to the book. I bought the book because this is something that my kids are definitely interested in making money. And, you know, we talk about different ideas and of course I want them to do something online or whatever, but I, there are so many other ways. And so I love the way that you have organized the book where there are these different sections, there's local services. So you don't need the internet for those I'm guessing. And then freelancing online business and hold on, I'm flipping through the table of contents and then e-commerce and physical products. And so wherever your specialty is, if you're looking for the listeners, if you're looking for another income stream or learning, you know, wanting to learn more about somebody who's doing what you're doing, then, I mean, he's covered a lot of different areas in here, but also I think this is a great book for those of us that we know in our, you know, in our personal lives and online of, of that are looking for other income streams, looking to pay off the debt, looking to put more in savings or, you know, save for college, whatever it is to, come up with ideas. I mean, there's no short shortage of ideas out there, but sometimes it can be hard to like think about where to start. And so I think this book is a great way. And I'm definitely interested. Sign me up for the kids version. I okay. would love to, I would love to help you help promote that and buy several copies for my kids and all the kids we know too. So when that comes out, let me know. All right. Thanks. Maybe we can get that one into school. So that'd be pretty cool. That would be, that would be so awesome. So that's something I definitely want to teach my kids so they don't have to wait to like grow up and go to college and, you know, and then find a job down the road in order to make money. They can, they can do things now to, you know, start making money and putting money away for their future. So awesome. Right. Well, 
Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all that you do and being such an inspiration to me and to so many others. And I love that. I mean, you've got so many books. We'll put all the links in the show notes, everything that you've mentioned here, but you've got other books on Amazon too, that we haven't had time to dive into today. Lots going on, but thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. And so excited to see you at FinCon here in a few weeks. You bet. Tons of fun. Thanks, Monica. It is always great to chat with Nick, and I just love learning more about how his mind works. As I said, he's been a longtime inspiration for me and so many others in the online business space, so I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. Nick and I would love to know your biggest takeaways from this episode. You can share those with us in the comments at monicalouie.com slash 115, or tag Nick and me on Instagram. I'm at Flourish with Monica, and he's at N Loper. And I want to give a huge thank you once again to Nick for coming on the podcast and sharing his story and his wisdom with us. Check out his latest book, 1K, 100 Ways, and grab a copy for yourself and your friends who are looking to add an additional income stream. And be sure to follow his award-winning top-ranked podcast, The Side Hustle Show, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. You'll find all the links and resources that we mentioned in this episode at monicalouie.com slash 115. And I want to thank you so much for joining me today. If you are ready to scale your business with high converting Facebook and Instagram ads, then I invite you to check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. You can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through the six simple steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus there's an awesome checklist. so You can make sure you've got everything you need before you dive into the ads manager. And if you're like me, then you love a good checklist and Big news, Flourish with Facebook Ads is now fully updated with all the changes related to iOS 14. If you are ready to up-level your business this year with Facebook and Instagram ads, this is the program that will walk you through exactly how to do just that. You can learn more at monicalouie.com slash flourish. As I mentioned, we'll have all the links and resources that Nick and I mentioned today in the show notes, and you can find those at monicalouie.com slash 115. If you found this podcast helpful, please be sure to follow the show in your favorite podcast app so you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come up every single Thursday and we've got a ton of great episodes and inspiring guests heading your way. That's all for today. Take care, stay healthy, and let's flourish. Let's flourish.